0: My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So... Every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the classical classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is a very special guest, uh, Miss Simona Dinnerstein, who is a super famous pianist. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to say it because <laughs> you are. <laughs> Uh, having you here is is actually kind of a wish come true because last week I was listening to The Diane Rehm Show, listening to your interview. I came into the station and I said to Todd, our producer, man, I heard this really cool lady that we should have on The Classical Classroom. And he said, uh, oh, she's coming into the station next week. <laughs> so, so here you are. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. When we first started doing the show... I had zero lofty goals about what we would do with the show but since we started I've had a lot of educators write into me and say that they they use the show in their classroom and on the one hand I think yeah, yeah that's awesome you know I'm I'm so flattered that that's and and glad that people are finding it useful on the other hand I'm kind of sad about it because when I was a kid I didn't have a podcast I had my music teacher, Mr. Pruitt, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was part of our curriculum. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So one of the reasons that I thought that you would be a good fit for for our show is because you're doing this thing called the Bach Packing Initiative, where you essentially are going out to schools that are sort of, I'd say, musically underserved and going in and teaching them about Bach inventions and uh, other things, I'm sure. Can you talk a little bit about
1: why you decided to start doing the Bach packing initiative and just give us the basics. Mm -hmm. I mean I I agree with you. I think that it's really horrible how um, our country has kind of abandoned the arts and education as something that's crucial and what I'm doing is in no way replacing that. I mean we really need music teachers in the schools kids Mm -hmm. need to learn music and it's not just because music helps them with math. It's because music is is great in its own right and mm. and something that's enriching and important. What I felt with the Bach packing was that I wanted to be able to connect to students in a classroom setting. Um, usually, when I go to play in schools, I play in auditoriums mm. for you know a couple of hundred kids, and I you know while that's really nice, I think it's much more intimate and it makes more of an impact if you're up close to a group of kids and. Uh, the thing that was holding me back was having an instrument to do that with, because you can't really drag a piano from classroom to classroom. <laughs> <laughs> you can, but it would be
0: super hard. <laughs> um,
1: and I, I just thinking, oh, you know, if I could just strap one onto my back and go into classrooms, that would be amazing. And then I thought about the fact that Bach inventions actually work quite well on a keyboard, on a digital keyboard. Mm-hmm. And so I asked Yamaha if they might help with this, and they said yes, and they've been amazing. And awesome. so they've provided digital keyboards for all of the schools that don't have any. And um, I grew up in New York. And yeah, you're you're in Brooklyn, I'm right? in Brooklyn, okay. and I went to neighborhoods like, I went to the South Bronx, mm-hmm. I went to parts of Harlem I'd not been to, and these are all really underserved communities, and mm. The children were just amazing, and uh, the teachers were amazing, actually. I mean, it's really impressive what teachers are doing. So it's been really an amazing experience, and I hope that I can expand this to be something that I do wherever I travel.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, to be able to see a musician play not as this person sort of removed on a stage, but as a, as a person in the room with you. Mm-hmm. I, I saw some of your videos and your hands are just flying across the, the keys and the kids are just staring going, <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> and um, I know like when I was a kid, it was cool to see things on stage, but to see like somebody come and do something cool in front of me, like that stuck with me, Yeah, you know and it's so interactive like you're actually you're getting the kids to be part of the lesson How are they liking Bach? Like these pieces were written almost 300 years ago so
1: how how are little kids today responding to that? Well first I would say that most of them had never heard of Bach before this was the first time and and I think that they they were really interested in it, especially the more that I that I revealed to them ways of listening to it. I, I think it's it's like anything else, the more you can bring some kind of understanding to it and draw a connection to other things that you do understand. Mm-hmm. That, so I try to talk to them about the whole concept in the inventions of there being two voices. That are equally important, right? And that concept—the more they can hear it, then the more the music becomes alive to them when they're listening to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind of unpacking what's going on in in the music, mm-hmm. and they're, so they're not just hearing notes coming out of a keyboard; they're understanding kind of like the structure behind it. Right. Yeah.
1: I think that, I mean, getting back to studying uh, music and the importance of studying music, I, I think it's quite similar to the studying classic literature. Yeah. I've actually seen a movement away from that in in the schools. Like, my son, he's in a middle school. Mm-hmm. They they read almost no classic literature. They're oh. reading all contemporary fiction. Wow. And while he's reading interesting books, I think there's there's a place for the classics. And it's because it teaches us about a, a different time of life, mm-hmm. a different era in history, and it's usually literature that's quite challenging to read. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy read. You have to really think. You have to really involve yourself in it. And I think the same is true with classical music. You know, you have to activate a certain part of your brain. You You can listen to it, just for the pleasure of it. You yeah. ca- you can, but you can also listen to it with much more of an involvement and active listening. And that's something that a lot of kids don't know how to do, this kind of active listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm working with them uh, with the Bach packing, that's really what I'm trying to show them, mm-hmm. that, that you... You know, you can notice things about what you hear, and, and they're interesting things. And then when you think about it, you can see how other artists used these same techniques. Yeah. And when you listen to their music, you'll be able to hear it in their music, too. Could you maybe do a little
0: demonstration for us of like, what, what you do when you go into the classroom? As long as I don't have
1: to sing. (laughs) Well, you might have to sing. (laughs) Oh, God. Help you all. One of the things that I do um, with a lot of the classes is I divide them into two groups Mm -hmm. and have them each sing a song. And what I do is I'll have half of them sing Twinkle Twinkle and the other half sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind this is that they can hear how two different songs can actually layer together at the same time to form one song. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have them switch, like they'll be singing and then I'll say switch, and then they have to sing the other song, they have to switch songs, because that's something that Bach does a lot, where one hand is playing something and then it's thrown over to the other hand, you know, back and forth, yeah. And then I'll ask them, oh, so was that easy or was that hard? And a lot of them will say, oh, that was easy. And then I'll say, well, uh, why don't the people that said it was easy, I have them come up to the front alone. Uh And they have to do it just as a duet without the whole class supporting them. Two of them have to do it as a duet. And they realize how complicated it is to, to sing like that. And then I say to them, okay, now the people that were singing Twinkle Twinkle, I want them to listen to my right hand. And the people that were singing Row, Row, Your Boat, I want them to listen to my left hand. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to play this for you. And then I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to keep going into a Bach invention. And I want your ears to hold on to the voice that you were singing. So the right hand or the left hand, hold on to it with your ears and keep on listening. And see if you can listen to just that hand when I'm playing. Yeah. So then I'll play, you know... Um, etc like that yeah. and um and usually they they have a very different experience of listening to it after we do that. Yeah, I bet uh-huh.
0: that I mean I'm sitting here just laughing because it's like how on earth are you dividing your brain in half like that to be able to <laughs> Oh god, that that just kind of hurt my head a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So so the kids who come up like like are they Sort of squirming, going. I don't want to do this. Are they excited about it? Are they like into it? What? They're their they're
1: into it. Yeah. They want to participate. They want to be part of it. The more I involve them, the more excited they are. Yeah, you know, kids don't want to just sit and listen. They want to do something. Right. So then I usually move on with them, and I'll say, okay, now I want to. I want you to listen to the fact that um, in that situation, the right hand played a melody. And the left hand played that melody too. Or in another, very, another invention that I played, this one. The right hand, they are playing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it, usually it takes them a while to hear that. I'll say, if I played the two hands together, like if I didn't play it how Bach wrote it, but I brought them together, they'd be doing... That's what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. But the right hand starts, and then the left hand comes in. So your brain has to kind of divide itself up so that you can do that kind of imitation. And then Mm -hmm. later on in the piece, they switch, and the left hand does. And then the right hand goes. So then the right hand imitates the left hand, and then they switch how they did that. Mm -hmm. And so then I'll ask for two volunteers to come up And they um, sit at the keyboard next to each other. And I'll give one of them three notes, like these three notes. And I'll say, okay, I want you to make something up with those three notes. Mm -hmm. And then then the person sitting next to you has to then imitate that. So they'll make up something like... Or something like that. And the other one has to, to do the same thing. And then I'll say, well, sometimes what Bach does is he... He does imitation, but he, he does something different with it. So like in this invention, this one, the, the melody is this. And I'll have them see, sing it and show them with my hand what it looks like. If you were going to make a de- geometric shape mm-hmm. with those notes, it would be like going up and then coming down, and it's essentially a triangle pointing upwards. And they all see that. They all hear and yeah. see that it's a triangle. And then I'll say, well, in this in this part of the music, he does something where he goes... In the left hand. And then he does in the right hand. And... I'll have them sing this and see how it's the opposite it's a downward pointing triangle and they're doing the opposite things you know Bach was really interested in patterns like that and mm-hmm. I'll teach them the word inversion that, that, that one hand is inverting what the other did is turning it upside down mm-hmm. and um, so then I'll have the two, vo- another two volunteers come up and one of them will make up something and then the other one has to do, to do the opposite and the and they play them together and see how they're doing, like mirror images of each other.
0: That's the coolest.
1: Which is hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't <laughs> sure that they'd be able to do that, but actually, they really can do that.
0: Kids are amazing. Like, yeah. We we don't give them enough credit for what they, what they can learn, what they can absorb, what they can mimic. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. they're like tiny people. You yeah. know. <laughs> 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 this is so cool. I, I did this. Did this um, initiative? Did it? I, I read a little bit about your your background, and you you did
1: this thing called Neighborhood Classics. Yeah, I have so, that going on it's, too. So, so yeah. the to answer mm-hmm. back in '09, and uh, that's a very different kind of a thing.
0: But I loved <laughs> my favorite part of this program is that you you do these uh, school happenings oh yes where like it sounded like a guerrilla flash mob takeover yes. of schools where you just go in and like all right the music teachers are taking over
1: yeah know? yeah 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 we did um, we did two of those so far um, cool the first one was I called it the Bach invasion uh-huh. I got 18 cellists to uh, to come into the school mm-hmm. and they went into every single classroom playing the Bach cello suites yeah and it was like a military operation getting it involved because this is a school with 1500 kids in it and we visited every single classroom mm-hmm. so they would go like every 20 minutes they'd rotate into other oh classrooms and you'd hear you'd hear various cello suites coming from all over the school the entire day and that, and the second one that we did was, I called it the Renaissance Revolution. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I'll get people with period instruments to come. And I managed to get, again, like, I think it was around 18 people, to, and including a woman who brought her harpsichord to the school. And <laughs> wow. we had lute players, we had uh, viola de gambas, we had everything. And, and they went around to all the different classrooms, and they even had the children play the instruments it was amazing it was really a wonderful thing
0: that is so cool education is lucky to have you
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean everybody has been really excited to have it come Uh, you know I wanted to go to underserved neighborhoods I'm much more interested in going Mm -hmm. to places like that I mean I'm slightly hypocritical because the school where I started Neighborhood Classics, which is a school in Park Slope where I live and where my husband teaches and where my mom teaches, that's a very affluent neighborhood. It's a public school, but it's a public school in an affluent neighborhood. Um, I feel a personal connection to that school because of being part of it. I I went to that school when I was a kid, and my son went there, and I have all of this feeling for it, and... In that situation, I've created a concert series there because I thought this is a neighborhood where all of these people should be going to hear classical music concerts and they are not. Mm -hmm. You know, like my my friends, you know, the other parents who could afford to go to concerts, they tend not to for a variety of reasons. You know, cost of babysitting might be part of it or just inertia or i mean <laughs> right. also but there's also I have to watch netflix <laughs> but there's also there's just a lack of interest yeah and yeah. so i thought if i could create a concert series that's really easy for them to go to that's in a in a community in their in their school they're used to going to school everybody goes there and yeah. the kids can go too it's not like you have to find a babysitter then maybe all these people will come. And what has been incredible in that situation is that all of the concerts are sold out. And it's all those people that, you know, the New York Philharmonic is trying to get to come to their concerts. It's like the 30-something-year-olds, the 40-something-year-olds that are, you know, kind of middle-class, upper-middle-class people. But in terms of the Bach packing project that I'm doing where I'm going into classrooms... In that situation, I feel um, like I really want to go to classrooms where they they don't have music, or they mm-hmm. they don't they're living in neighborhoods where they wouldn't really have any connection to classical music. Since Bach, you know,
0: meant for these to be musical training tools, they lend themselves so well to being lessons and, mm-hmm. so, and these kids don't have that so right. it still makes sense
1: I mean some of it yeah. sometimes I went to some schools especially in DC there were some schools where they there was there was a real like it was like I was speaking in a totally different language wow. and they just really had trouble connecting to me uh-huh. you know and so then I tried to I tried to talk in their language yeah. so you know like i was talking about duets mm-hmm. and i said okay name me some singers that you listen to that sing duets
0: mm.
1: and so they named a whole lot of different people and some of the one of the people that they know that i know that they were listening to is jay-z yeah so um jay-z does a lot of duets and uh so a famous one would be with um, mm-hmm. Justin Timberlake, or whatever. Yeah. And I'll say to them, "Do they ever sing at the same time?"
0: Get out uh, uh,
1: And they would be like, uh, "No, they no, no, they don't." And why why don't they sing at the same time? Because we couldn't understand what they were saying if they were both singing at the same time, yeah. which is true. But it also it, we live in a in a world musically the the Popular music, where we want to focus on one thing at a time. Yeah, there's much less layering of intricacy in music. So I think, even though I think Jay Z is doing interesting collaborations with people that are singing in a different style than he is rapping. Yeah. I would be really interested to hear him do something where he would continue to rap while other people are singing Mm -hmm. and see what that produces. But he would probably never do that. Yeah. Um, So then I'll show them, I'll play them something again and say, listen, in Bach, he's thinking about it completely differently than Jay-Z. He's thinking that the two voices should be happening at the same time, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're not doing the same thing. Like the other thing that they know is singing in harmony. So I'll say, you know, if you listen to this part, mm-hmm. that's singing in harmony. Which, which, uh, this is from the B flat invention. B flat, okay. So in that, ver- in that invention, there's this wonderful part where they start to play together yeah. in harmony, and that's something that's a very natural desire for us to sing in harmony. Mm-hmm. That's if you listen to people sing just folk songs together, the people with lower voices will naturally take lower notes than the people with higher voices, and we just naturally sing in harmony together. But Bach only uses that for very special moments. He doesn't use it all the time. Mostly, you know, you're having... Where they're playing two different things. So
0: I'm sure at that moment, when you've said... Justin and Jay-Z, the kids are like, oh, this all makes sense yeah. <laughs> now. Finally, lady, we know what you're yeah.
1: saying.
0: <laughs> That's great. That's great that you're kind of able to, you know, make that connection or that you got desperate enough trying to talk to them. Oh, that no. That no, I mean,
1: connection. I've been thinking about it a lot. And one little boy in one school said, well, he had an example of where two people sang two different things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, musicals. And I thought, wow, you're totally right. I hadn't thought of that. It's like a, to- a genre that I never think about, really. Yeah. But, of course, in musicals, you will have duets where they're singing different words at the same time. Right. And then I was trying to think about rock music that might be more like Bach. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, some, a group like Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. That's, that is contrapuntal. I mean mm-hmm. there the guitar is equal to the voice and the drums are not doing a constant rhythm. I mean everything was kind of experimental and different and they were and they were really thinking about music as many different layers working together and they were it, the words are not necessarily the most important thing in a Led Zeppelin song. Right. And so that that's Quite un quite interesting, but I don't think there's a lot of rock today that is like that. That well, I don't know.
0: I think about bands like like Radiohead.
1: I Man, maybe Radiohead. Yeah.
0: Radiohead and kind of more
1: sort of prog rock bands right, like that yeah. more kind of sophisticated mm-hmm. things. But like the yeah. really popular greatest right. hits at the moment are not doing anything like yeah. that.
0: Like your Nickelbacks are not. They're not. Uh... No. I don't, know, I don't even know if
1: Nickelback is still or on the radio like, anymore. Um like Coldplay so or something like that. You know, I don't know. I, I, I get lost in the genres. Yeah, me too. <laughs> my son like... is my guide. What
0: does your son <laughs> listen to? Um,
1: my son is into, he's listening to so much at the moment. I don't even know. His latest one is he's listening to um, Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, that's a great band. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs>
0: That's awesome. They just put out a new album. Oh, did they? Yeah. I don't know if that's what he's listening. Yeah, I just heard uh, one of their new songs on All Songs Considered. It was really good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um I wanted to just briefly before we stop chatting, um I wanted to ask you why why these uh, inventions appeal so much to you? Like what is it that you love so much about them that, that you feel like you know, they need to be taught to one and all.
1: The inventions they they really built who I am in many ways, and I think that they do that for many people. That it, you learn about um, you learn about counterpoint as a as a pianist. You learn about counterpoint from the inventions, and then they live in you forever. Yeah, you know? started.
0: I read that you listened to these when you were a little girl, right? And that was like it was the first
1: the first piano Bach.
0: music, first Bach that you heard.
1: Yeah, um, I think about them almost like that what Bach did for us was he, he wrote a set of fairy tales for us. Mm -hmm. And in the sense that there's something like, there's something archetypal about this music, about the inventions and they, you see them in everything else. And when you think about fairy tales, when you're a kid, you read them just for the plot and then when you're an adult, you realize that there's all of this symbolism in them and that actually you've learned about story structure from fairy tales. And you see it again and again in, in novels, in short stories, and you see those characters appearing in, in your life yeah. and, and, and in books, but everywhere. And I think that um, the inventions are, are quite similar in that they show you things about form mm-hmm. and about keys and you know harmonies and how your hands work as a, as a pianist yeah. and then you just use that forever
0: there's something sort of like clean and primordial about them at the same time it's really i don't know they're so simply complex it's like
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's funny that you use the word archetype because we we actually uh, did a classical classroom where we talked about the C major, yeah, uh, with a professor from Rice Kurt Stallman. We started we talked about how how archetypical this music was, how each one of them creates a circle mm-hmm. and brings you back home. and we were talking about like why it is that it that we hear that that of being brought back home in mm-hmm. the piece and why it sounds complete. so yeah. Um, Simona Dinnerstein, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It's been really great to talk to you. Thanks. It was really fun to talk with you. All right. That's it for Classical Classroom this week. Uh, If you want to learn more about our show, go to our brand-speaking new website at houstonpublicmedia.org. You can find us in the arts and culture section right now. You can also find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. As a matter of fact, speaking of iTunes, if you listen to us that way, please rate us and review us. We'd appreciate it. Especially if you said nice things. Hint, hint. If you want to send me an email about anything, preferably classical music, send an email to dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. Thanks to our producer, Todd Halslander, for producing so well. And to Sinjin Flynn, our program director, for just being himself. (laughs) Oh, and thanks to me for saying stuff. All right, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.